Amen, amen, amen. Well, today we're going to talk about in our Numanity series, our passions, God's providence, and the scandal of God's grace. I want you to be seated. Why don't you be seated? Father, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to talk about such a scandal. Your grace is scandalous. Your glory is beautiful. Our passions are interesting, but your providence is relentless. So God, as we, as we, as we dive into the scriptures and seek to be uh, fashioned in the image of Jesus Christ, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength. Somebody say our strength. Our strength. Somebody say our redeemer. our redeemer. In whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about our new Manity series. We're on our fourth week into it. It's going to take us the entire fall to go through our manhood series. Um, we started off in our manhood series talking about in the beginning it wasn't so and, and, and seeking to paint a picture of God's passion for why he created man in his likeness and his image. But not only that, we went from there and we talked about uh, the characteristics of a deeply repentant man out of Psalm 51, uh, 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 so much weight in it, we had to split it up to two messages. And God really ministered to us and even the women. It's interesting. This is a manhood series, and I see y'all getting hit as hard as, hard as the, the Holy Ghost is just crazy with his, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and God working on us, and we got into that to work on the idea of repentance. Somebody say repentance. Repentance is very, very important in the life of those who recognize that they have sin in their life and they want Jesus to deal with it. And so we dove into that and talk about the characteristics of that. Uh, but, but then we went, now we're going from there and we're talking about uh, uh, our passions, God's providence, and the scandal of God's grace. Um, this story is the perfect pictorial of that title because you have Samson. Uh, who was born at, at a miraculous birth, not an uh, immaculate conception, but he was born a birth because of his mother's womb being closed. He and his, uh, his father, her and her father, his father Manoah, was unable to have children. And so God, by the, by the a power of the Spirit, came to them and let them know that they were going to have a child who was a deliverer, who's going to be a deliverer of the people of God out of a particular situation, but they were to take a Nazarite vow. He was going to have a Nazarite vow, and the mom, during the course of the pregnancy, was to be under this Nazarite vow. And so we see that we come to this story where we begin to see him as either a teenager or a young adult, and he's come in his prime. And so we, we come in this story to see a man who has a deep calling on his life, but has a whole bunch of struggles. Uh, oh, oh, I'm by myself right now. It's a man who has a heavy calling, a hefty calling, a, a great calling and great power, uh, but has no responsibility. And, and, and I know nobody under the sound of my voice got any type of struggles like that. But what's powerful about this story is what God is up to despite him. It blows my mind at the fingerprint and hand of God, what he can do despite you, in spite of you. And in this story, we see weaved in here some powerful principles that I believe will be pertinent for our practice right up here in this pericope. We see that God is doing a powerful, powerful powerful personality positioning to help us as men to be positioned for biblical practice. So as we dive in, we see Samson, 
my man Samson, in the time of Judges. This was the gully time of the children of Israel, if there was ever one. This, this was a time, if you will, when the people of God began to take their calling for granted. It was a time period in which God had brought them into all of these promises, and they began enjoying the fruit of all of this labor that they had with the Lord. But the more blessings they got, the more enjoyment they got, the more lackadaisy they got in their disposition towards the living God. And so God loving them so much, like an old grandfather, pulls out his belt and begins to whoop the daylights out of his children. Why? Because he wants them to stop living below their calling. And and, and when when God wants you to stop living below your calling, he's going to give you a whooping. And and why? Because he wants you to walk in his exaltation, not to always walk in devastating humiliation. And so we come here and we see that he's working and and he's challenging his people over and over and over again. And he brings up these substandard people who are just as broken as the people that they're trying to help out and they're judges. But during this time, it's marked by something in particular, a pluralistic philosophy of life by which they say everyone, based on chapter 17, verse 6, did what was right in their own eyes. I don't think we live in a culture that's different than this much, which brings us to our first point. Our passions can at times eclipse our clarity of God's purposes. Our passions can at times eclipse our clarity of God's purposes. Samson was given the opportunity, verse 1, it says, Samson, just stop there. Let's talk about money for one second. He, he was given, put under the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was an interesting vow that people would take on based on our numbers. And, and, and in there, some Nazarite vows took, it was a short period of time of consecration for the Lord, or it was a lifetime. God, very few times, mandated a Nazarite vow on someone's life. And so there are several things that mark the Nazarite vow. Number one, there's abstinence from strong wine and drink. So he couldn't go to the brewery. He couldn't have a shot of whiskey. He couldn't have a little taste. He couldn't have a little something, something. He couldn't have nothing to drink. I know some of y'all are struggling already with a Nazarite vow. Uh, amen. We're going to keep moving in the mighty name of Jesus. Then he wanted to, he had to refrain from cutting his hair. That's where the, that's where the Rastafarians have taken this and created a religion around uh, Rastafarianism. Uh, but he, he was basically a, a, a muscular, this dude, muscular probably, maybe, we don't know, hairy, grimy, rugged, dreadlock-having, Philly beard-having dude. He, he, yeah, he had a long uh, uh, eternal Sunni that was coming all the way down on him. And, 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 so, and so they couldn't cut their hair. You know, I know the Rastafarians said, we can't drink, but we could love on that like that. But that's not what he had back in the day there. They didn't have weed in Jerusalem. So keep going. <laughs> number three. Number three. The avoidance of contact with the dead. So what you get this sense, though, if you sum it up, the Nazarite is this. The word denotes generally one who is separated from others and consecrated to God. One who's separated from others and consecrated to God. In other words, when you're a Nazarite, you're taking a, a, when you take the vow uh, uh, willingly, what you begin to do is you're saying, I am going to, I want to put myself in a position because of my submission to the living God. The edict was over his life, but over and over and over again, Samson allowed his passions to eclipse 
and trump the glory of God in his life. And so we see um, that, that, that my man Samson, it says next, it says Samson went down. Somebody say went down. He went down to Timnah. Now, Timnah was, was the spot back then. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it was a gully spot when, where, there was, where, where there was no love for kingdom principles. But it's interesting. Let me put on my professor's hat real quick because it says he went down. If you look at verse 1, he went down. If, if, if you look at, uh, if you look at a, a several other verses, verse 5 and verse 7, it says he went down. Somebody say he went down. See, a narrative prose here went down repeatedly. It's talking about an interesting position. You re- if you remember from the Jonah series, it says that Jonah went down to Joppa. Then it says he went down to the bottom of the ship. And then it says he went down in the belly of the whale. In other words, the further and further you get away from the presence of God, the further and further you distance yourself from God, you can be going up geographically in the eyes of men, but you can be going down in the eyes of God. I wish I had some help right there. So it said he went down. Now, Timna, interestingly enough, is not geographically south, but it's west. But he went down geographically because it was down the river path. And so, but, but when he went from where he was uh, to Timna, he was going into a realm and putting himself in a bad place. Why? Because he knew that Timna was the realm of compromise. It's interesting that Samson had a high calling, but he consistently put himself in the place of compromise. I know nobody in here don't deal with that, but he willfully, see, when you got, see, see, some of y'all don't know you're a mess. See, I know I got issues because I know I got issues. I know where my issue, I know the, the, the areas in the world where my issues are extractable if I go down. And so, but, 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 but so Samson said he didn't even care about his, he knew his issues. He lived in light of his issues, even though he had a high calling on his life. And, and, and with his high calling on his life, his calling was twofold. His calling was high because he had a Nazarite vow, but his calling was high because he was a man. And the reason why is every single man under the sound of my voice that knows Jesus Christ has a calling on his life. The, the calling on your life is to lead. The calling on your life is to commit yourself to Christ. The calling of your, on your life is to walk in the saga of the kingdom. But the problem with it is, is that as high as God has called you, the lower you want to live. But every time you put yourself in a position to execute your passions, dismissing the biblical principles and premises of God's text, then you put yourself in the realm of your own passions. So he went down. Somebody said went down. Listen, listen, let me just tell you something. I don't care how far you think you're going, how high you think you're going. A, 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 a promotion in man's eyes can sometimes be a spiritual demotion in God's eyes. You better recognize that. And so you don't allow yourself to go down when God has called you up. See, when God calls you up, you can't go down. And so Samson put himself in the position to be in the realm of compromise and live in his unbridled lusts and passions. So much so that we see next, it says, it says, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Uh-oh. Then he came, to his, uh, came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Mm, now, now get her for me as my wife. Then it says in verse, the latter part of verse 3, it says, it says, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Underline on, in the first line, he saw, he saw one. 
Look at verse 3 and say, uh, uh, right in my eyes. Look at verse 7, say, right in Samson's eyes. In, 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 in other words, Samson is a personification of a generation. What, what do I mean by that? The Bible says in, uh, in, in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, that man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Now you have one who is a personification and a type of a generation here, and now he's being led by his senses. Let's see if we can break it down. Being led by your senses means you're sensual. That means what you see, you want. What you want, you get. You don't have any type of grid. You don't have any type of moral value. You have no fabric of passion for what God wants. Everything you want, you got to have, and there's no philosophy of delayed gratification. Everything I want, everything I need, everything I got to have, I got to have it now. And Samson is living in a philosophical construct of, of sensuality. Sensuality means I'm driven by my senses. Yeah, yeah. To be driven by my senses, and I don't care who it hurts, I don't care who it challenges, I got to have what I want, when I want, and how I want it. And it's interesting that we live in a culture that promotes you living right in your own eyes. The, the, the philosophy of follow your heart. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, oh, you can't follow your heart. Do you know that booger is deceitful and wicked? Who can know it? But, 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 but you don't, the Bible never said follow your heart. Because if you follow your heart uh, and you follow your own created dreams, you got to follow the dreams God has for you. Oh, I wish I had some help right there. Because see, see, see what happens is, is when you live out your passions, you create a dream disconnected from God's kingdom philosophy. Therefore, your life is built around you and not Jesus. Therefore, you are the center of your life. You are the center of your passions. You are the center of your values. You are the center of your existence versus Jesus. And so Samson was a sensual dude. And so he was like, get her for me. Now, you got to understand, that's like having Superman with um, Lex Luthor's philosophy in a body as your child. Now, money's strong, right? He went to his parents. He's like, look, I went down to Timna. <laughs> Man, you know what I'm saying? And it was this fine chick down at John. You know what I'm saying? Man, shorty was budged in the mug, daddy. So look, see, back in that day, you couldn't just walk up on no chick. You know, talking about something. Woo! Come here, girl. Hey, shorty in the red. Nah, not you. Shorty right there. Yeah, hey, forget you then. Forget you then. Oh, you all that? Oh, you all that? See, they ain't do that back then. You couldn't do all that. Hey, hey, hey. Shorty with, woo! 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 Shorty, come here. Let me holler at you for a second. Shorty, come here. Let me holler at you for a second. Shorty, come here. Let me holler at you for a second. Come here. See, they ain't had that back in the day. You couldn't be getting at no chick like that. So back in the day, even he knew the boundaries. Uh, uh, so he said, he said, you know, I'm, I'm gonna ask my pops to go down there because I, I, you know, I don't want to smash shorty so like that. So I want to marry her. At least I got a little bit of morals. So I act like I love the Lord, but I really don't love the Lord because she's not one of the people of God. But I still want to hit it, so I gotta have it. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so Samson, Samson, so he goes, they're like, come on, son. He's like, he's like, I don't care what y'all talking about. Hey, do you, listen, there are times in your life where you're so driven by your own passions that you're irreconcilable in your ability to be turned to repentance. 
See, see, that's, that means you're far gone when people can't even reason you back into a kingdom philosophy. When you can't see that the way leads to death. You, and when you can't see it and you're like, I don't even care. I want what I want. Have you ever seen somebody so bound on the path to destruction, but, they, but they're loving what they want. They got to have what they want so bad that they don't see that they're fading away. They're, they're, their soul is rotting. You listen, you need to repent and listen. See, 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 our culture live, pushes us to instant gratification, pushes us to not waste, to, to, to waste our lives. And what, what I'm concerned about men for is this is a personification or characterization for us of extended adolescence in our culture. The, the, the men in our culture, I'm not beating y'all up, but y'all know I love y'all, but we got to talk real. Amen, somebody. Uh, and we have an extended adolescence in our culture where, 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 where men are children at 25 and 35 years old. I mean, you got men 35 years old on skateboards and, and going like this and carrying on. You 35, man. Get your butt up. Get, you better get off that. Don't no woman want to date no boy. Don't nobody want to marry. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Don't nobody want a Toys R Us kid? Stop nudging that dude. Stop nudging him. Stop doing him like that. In other words, in other words, we live in a culture that makes immaturity popular. We, 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 in other words, we promote never growing up. If one more person tell me 40 is the new 20, I'm going to jump to the next neighborhood. Let me tell you why. 40 is 40. 50 is 50. You need to be 50. You don't need to be, oh, God, take the time. I saw a woman. Listen. Listen. I got to say this. Me and my wife, we at the mall. This woman's 62. Now, she, she, she took the shirt up. And had it tied with the love, with the love just going like this on you, going like this on you. I was like, oh my God. I mean, I'm like, listen, listen, listen. Our culture celebrates remaining infantile. But when you're in the kingdom, we celebrate growing up. That, 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 that's the difference. That's the, that's the difference. And so, so babies ask for, Daddy, I want that. Daddy, I got to have that. When I'm at the mall with my son, Daddy, I want a popsicle. Daddy, I want some readers. Daddy, I want this. I want that shirt. I want the Spider-Man. I want this. See, when you, see, you can't be 50 doing that. You can't be 35 saying, God, I want that. God, I want that. God, I want that. God, I want that. No, you need to be settled in your spirit and grow your butt up. <laughs> Tossed to and fro by everything. Lily, you weren't created for that. You weren't created to remain the same. So Samson was sensual. He had to have what he wanted to have, and he didn't even think about the consequences of getting what he wanted to get. And so we have to be, God has called us through the gospel. He said, for freedom in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. What does that mean? That means God doesn't have a problem with you being passionate. It means that your passions are free to be passionate within the realm of passion that the God has anointed you to be passionate about. Yeah. 
In other words, God, God is a passionate God himself. How do I know that? Okay. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, 6, it says that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. What? The incarnation and exaltation of Jesus Christ. Why do we say that? Because we get our theology of passion from the one who created us with passions. He has passions. Christ, through his passion on the cross, restores our passions to link us up with the one who originally gave us the passions in the first place. And so the gospel is the way in which your passions are relinked and uplinked with the eternal passions of the Father through the passionate death of Christ, now that we can be passionately carrying our crosses daily. Listen, listen, it's nothing wrong with being passionate. It's nothing wrong with being passionate for a woman. It's nothing wrong with being passionate for sports. The question on the floor is, is that passion flowing from a redeemed passion by God through Jesus Christ? That, 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 that's, that's what the bottom line is. And so, and so your man Samuel was, was very, I mean, Samson was deeply, deeply, deeply driven by his own passions. But what's beautiful about this, which brings me to my next point, is God, God's will trumps our passions. <laughs> God, God's will <clears throat> trumps our passions. Look, 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 look in verse Look in verse 2. It says, then he came up. Somebody say came up. It's interesting. Stop right there. Now, it just said he went down, but in the narrative prose, it said he came up, meaning he went down to the wrong place, but he came back up to the right place. Then God confronts him at the right place. But you can't go down to get confronted by God. You usually get confronted by God when you come up because no matter where you are in your life, wherever you are, God has to come down. But wherever you are in life, you got to come up to God. Amen, somebody. And so there, God is high and lifted up. He goes to his parents and they began giving him moral fabric. He says, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all the people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised or unbelieving Philistines? See, 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 God's will trumps our passions, but look at what happens. It says, but Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. And listen to this. It says, his fa- and his fa- father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. Now, 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 this is where we get the idea of God's providence. The providence is, somebody say providence. providence. Now, now, providence is a massive term that's nestled under the idea of the sovereignty of God. If I can break it, the sovereignty of God down, real simple, grandmama had a deep theology of the sovereignty of God. This is, all, this is how she would explain it to me. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. That, that's sovereignty in a nutshell. She needed to write the lexicon definition of that um, because she understood that. And, and, and that, that, that's, that's what sovereignty means. Providence, differently, providence is different. Providence is this. Providence describes God's use of his knowledge, plan, and power to fulfill his purposes for all creation, including humankind. So that means that God has a designated format of what he ultimately wants to get done. Now, what providence does in relation to the decrees of God, decrees are what, uh, we're going somewhere right now. The decrees of God is what God says, this is going to happen absolutely whether man cooperates or doesn't cooperate. 
Now, what's beautiful about the providence of God, though, is man's submission or lack of submission to his will doesn't get in the way of his ultimate goals. As a matter of fact, God is such a smooth operator. I don't remember you seeing me in the smooth operator video with Michael Jackson, you know, was going down, da-da-dun, da-da-dun, da-da-dun-dun. And he was, that's not the one, but that's the one I wanted to do. And he was doing all this stuff, and he did, slid over here and punched the dude, you know, and did like that. In other words, you think he's dancing, but he's punching through a dance. In other words, how in the world do you dance and punch? Why? God does the same thing. God is pro- so providential that he can look smooth and hurt you at the same time. So providence, listen, providence, providence says, there's nothing that's going to get in the way. Now, this is, this is the issue for us. Providence is this in relation to us applicationally. God will do, this, you, you got a choice. God will either move through you, around you, or in spite of you. Let me say that again because we need to get that. God will either move through you, around you, or in spite of you. See, see Samson in the midst of doing all of this dirt, God is still moving in spite of his sin, in spite of his pain. Listen, our sin doesn't trump what God wants to do. Now, I know what some of y'all are saying, well, see my theology, now I'm just going to wild out. Now, you know, because it doesn't really matter. I mean, God's going to do what he wants to do anyway, and since he does what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, I don't really care about, you know, I'm just going to live my life. May May it never be. You You are made to participate with God. You were, as a man, you were created. You were created to work in concert with the master's will. You weren't, as a matter of fact, you weren't made to know the full story of God's will before you walk in his will. In other words, in other, in other words when you don't understand what to do, you don't wing it. You pray. Now, I know that sounds simple, but you know how we do. Whenever things don't work, God, if you don't do this by then, I will. If you don't come through like I want you to come through when I want you to come through, like I really, what I'm saying, God, is I need you to shift your sovereignty for a moment for me to be sovereign. But that's not what a broken person says. That's not what a person that's, that, that, that beats their chest because they're passionate about the glory of God. See, we need men, we, we need real deal Holyfield dudes. You know what I'm saying? We need, we need some dudes in the ministry. We need some dudes in the church that are not some left field suckers who are scared to stand up on the side. Why is God's passion so great? Because we're in a saga. We're in a divine, his redemptive, historical saga. The reason why we like movies like 300 and all that kind of stuff, because you were, you, every man just, I don't know what it is about Braveheart, dude going on the horse, going like that, going, ha! Ah! Then he, he rides on the front. He said, all right, all of you, they think we got us. But I'm just letting you know right now that we're, we're, we're from our kingdom. Ah! And get, shh. Today, this day, we are going to ride out and we are going to put their bodies on the face of this mountain. Are you with me? And all the dudes, all the dudes standing up on the thing in the movie, yes, I'm coming. Why? Why? I know y'all like Pastor yell too much. But I'm just saying, y'all, I'm just saying, y'all. You were created for the large meta-narrative. 
you were created for the big old redemptive story that God already is going to do, but he's chosen to insert you in. Listen, listen, listen. See, he, he chose to insert you in so that you can be a part of something bigger than you. And so that's why he said, that's why it says, and God, God was intending to do something to the enemies, but he chose to use you. He didn't chose choose to go around you. He chose to use you. That's why providence is so important. But the ultimate picture of providence is the cross. No, no, why? This is, this is crazy to me. Because Isaiah 53 says the Lord was pleased to crush him. That's on one hand. But then on the other hand, you see over 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, that it says, if they would have known that they were murdering the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have done it. Why? Their murdering of Jesus on the cross was a sin. However, God used their sin as the way in which redemption was going to come to all people. So somebody said, did God sin? No, he did not sin. But he let up the circumstances to be beautiful for his son to be sacrificed for the sins of men in the midst of the foolishness of men. And while he was on the cross, just so it could be covered, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In other words, God's providence doesn't allow the sin of man to get in the way of his work, but he allows for it to be a conduit for his providential work in our lives. And I'm just telling you right now that God is up to something massive in your life if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. But the massive thing isn't about you. It's always about him. All, let me say it again. It's always about him. Every single thing in your life, like I always say, is booby trap for you to look like Jesus. It's booby trap for God to be glorified. It's booby trap for him to be shown off. And you have to say, God, I don't want to be against what you're doing. I want to be for what you're doing. But Samson ignorantly does something and this is what we want to be careful of. Look at this passage, and it's a broader picture of the people of God in general. Which brings me to my next point. Have regard for the grace of God. Have regard for the grace of God. Look, look, look right here, it says, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Now, I don't know about you. I do not know about you. See, I, see, them people that be on the thing, out in the, out in the thing with the camera, they said, now I'm, I'm out by this pride. I've been spending 10 days in the pride. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? What is, I just got to say that. I know I'm going off. Dana, don't you say nothing. I'm, pri- I, I'm just like, man, I'm just like, man. I, I, you know, how you out there with the lion pride talking about you, they know you. Okay, anyway. So that was, that's odd. I'm studying them. Wow. I need like prisons, cages, all that. Anyway. Sorry, I digress. Back on. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the line in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman. This is crazy. I mean, hold on. Hold on, hold on, dog. Hold on, dog. Hold on. You just tore open a lion and walk away. Uh, did he wash his hands? I don't know. Then he just walks and he starts talking to her. Honey, I'm lost. Anyway. Next verse. It says, after some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, these are some days later, so it's stinking now. 
and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion. I don't know if he swallowed it or whether they created a nest within him in enough days, right? Uh, uh, but, but it says, uh, uh, that's, but, uh, you know, a, a bee thing that they call it. It says, and honey, hive, yeah, there you go. He, and, it said, and he scraped it out into his hands and went, hold on, and went on eating. Hold on. Okay. Y'all, like, think about this. The lion is decaying. He walks past. Now, I ain't going by nothing to can because the smell would have killed me. They didn't have gas masks or covering masks back then. They may have covered their face with their tunic or something. I don't know. But he goes past, goes into the lion, and sees something sweet. Crazy imagery. Reaches past the stench and decaying lion's flesh to get out his passions. See, it's a picture of us. It's a picture of us. See, when you're so enticed by your own lusts, when you're, when you're led by your, you'll go through to dead things to satisfy yourself. It never even says he even was responsible. No, oh, and, it, and he's just running along, skipping along, gives to his mom and dad. It's incredible. It's incredible. Listen, you just saw God do a miracle through you. A miracle demands a response. See, 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 what does God have to do to get your attention? Right here in this passage, he disregards the grace of God and he disregards his calling because he's a Nazarite and he's not supposed to touch a dead body. But not only does he come upon the dead body, he scoops honey out of the dead body and eats it. It's mind-boggling. That's why we got to be people driven by the glory of God. And no matter what, we see that God begins doing his work through Samuel, uh, uh, Samson in the rest of the story. He he begins to to, to deliver the people of God. And as he begins to deliver the people of God, he, he, he he takes out basically a riddle and tells them a riddle that they weren't supposed to execute and understand and know. But because he's a sensual man, the Bible says in verse 15 that they said, entice your husband, which is a way in which to woo somebody by their senses in order to get divine information from them. And he was willing, willing, instead of having his focus on the calling of God on his life, he still was focusing on his own devices. Yet in the midst of that, they get the riddle, they tell the riddle. So he tells the riddle to his wife, uh, to, to, his, to, to homegirl. Homegirl tells the riddle to her nation in Timnah. Timnah comes back after those days, tells the riddle. He said, you told, I'm killing all of y'all. So he kills all of them in the midst of this story, and God still got what he wanted to get done. But it's such a mark. This is not your VBS child story right here. This is a phenomenal story. And so I am at the point. Well, I want us as men to recognize that we're in a saga, that we are in a massive race to walk with Jesus by Jesus' strength alone. But what I like about this story is that Samson failed. Why do I like that he failed? Because there's a judge coming one day, and this judge was born of a miraculous birth. This judge lived a perfect life. 
this judge was crucified on the cross because he came in this way for, uh, for the first time, not to judge, but to seek and save the lost. But when he comes back, he's coming back to judge, and he's going to judge in righteousness. He's going to be judged in cleanliness. As we see the failure of Samson, I, 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 we see something more glorious pointing that Samson points to. In all of Samson's mess, in all of Samson's fallenness, he's a picture ultimately of the ultimate judge who would come. I, 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 I can't wait to get there. I can't wait till the judge returns. I can't wait till the ultimate deliverer returns. I believe that there will be some media footage of when the return of Christ. And there's going to be a cameraman standing beside his guy. He said, okay, we're in the midst of this period of time in which we've been going. I don't know what's going through. The Christians have been going crazy. Oh, my goodness. The Christians are, are getting slain every single day. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. What is this? Heaven is opening up. Oh my, oh my, are you getting this footage? Oh my God, are you getting this on camera? Heaven just opened, oh my God, the sun is bleeding. Oh my God, oh my God, the moon went to sleep. Oh my God, now there's one, oh my, who is that? Oh my goodness, he has wool dreadlocks. Are you getting this? He has red flaming eyes. He's like, he's like burnished brass. Oh my goodness, oh, are you getting this? He has a white linen ephod on, oh my goodness. He has a tattoo on his thigh. I don't know, I can't describe it. Get Zoom in a little bit more. Oh no, oh my goodness. He's on a white horse, wow. And, and the horse is on top of a cloud. Oh my goodness, there are two trumpets beside him. Oh my goodness, do you see this? Now that the sun is out, it's interesting that there's still light. Why is there still light? Oh, he's giving light to the world, even though the sun is out. Oh, are you getting this footage? Are you getting this? Oh, my goodness. Look behind him. Look behind him. It's trillions of people. Are you? We need more cameras. Do you see all of those people at the bottom of their robe? It looks like blood at the bottom of it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, do you see? Oh, he's just, he's coming down. Oh, God. Oh, God. People are running. The devil just took off. Look at him. The false prophet is running. Oh, my goodness. What in the world is happening right now? Oh, they're hiding behind mountains. They're hiding behind. Oh, but his light. Oh, my. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Shh, hold on. His light is so powerful. It's shining on the other side of the rock. So the people can't hide from him. Who's running from him? Oh, my goodness. Uh-oh, he dismounted his horse. He's on top of the Mount of Olives right now, and it's split from east to west. Oh, my goodness. What are these books? There are thousands of books and HDTVs opening up. Uh-oh, the lives. Oh, my goodness. What is happening? Uh-oh, uh-oh, he's off his horse. Oh, no. He just opened his mouth. Look, 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 look. Whoa! His mouth has a sword in it. Oh, God, he just cut him. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. There's a flaming oven coming out of the ground. They call that the lake of fire, don't they? That's the lake. Oh, my goodness. He's gone. Oh, my goodness. This is, I don't know what I just saw, what I just experienced. But um, this footage is probably the best footage I've ever gotten as a reporter. Your reporter signing out. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's coming back in a saga. And the question is, will you be one of the trillions behind him? Or will you be one of the running in front of him? If that's you,
and you know every head bow, every eye closed.